Okay, well, we are into the fundamentals of the faith, and we are still on lesson one, which is uh, the Bible. And uh, we're just kind of introducing the Bible. And uh, remember the our memory verse for this time? Does anyone remember the memory verse, 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for... Teaching, correction, training in righteousness. There's a fourth one there. Reproof, that goes probably after uh, teaching. So teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So that's, that's great. Second Timothy 3.16, very, very important on Scripture. All Scripture comes from God, breathed out by Him. And it's profitable for us. And, and really what we're going to do today is just kind of look at all of Scripture, a big overview of Scripture. We started into that last time um, when we kind of covered some of these questions. How did we get the Bible? When was it written? What belongs in the Bible? How did the Bible get to us? And what's in the Bible? We kind of very briefly last time looked at the, the transmission of Scripture, how the Bible um kind of arrived for us there. Um, we're going to look at maybe next time what's in the, what belongs in the Bible, the canon of scripture. We talked briefly about dating and we'll kind of do that as we go through book by book. So those are, those are kind of things that we're, we're looking at. But today really we're, we're just really want to kind of introduce you to the Bible. What, what's in the Bible? And, and this is the overview of scripture. So we, last time we, we talked about just kind of very, very big picture. What scripture? There's, there's kind of five things that happen. We have the creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Then Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of man into sin. Genesis 3.15 is that first promise of a coming seed. And really all the way to Malachi is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, this seed, this, this Christ, the Lord Jesus. And so the, the whole Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 to the end is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And then we have the Messiah himself, redemption. Matthew to Jude um, focuses on who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished. And then after he died and rose again, kind of looking back and uh, and understanding what it all means for us and for our salvation to undo what happened in the fall. And then um, kind of in a few places throughout Matthew and, e- and even into the Old Testament, there's this looking forward that happens to the final restoration, to the final salvation when God kind of makes a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, and uh, these fallen men that he has chosen to save are redeemed and dwell with him forever in heaven. We have it just here under number five, restoration. But other portions of scripture also kind of look forward to everything that the Lord's going to do in salvation. So let's go the overview of scripture. We started this last time, Old Testament Bible survey. And we're just looking at what the Bible is. Uh, we divided the Old Testament in the English Bible and the Greek Bible. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. The Hebrew Old Testament has 22 books or 24 books. 
But remember, that that's not different. That's just a different numbering system. It's the same books in the Hebrew Old Testament versus the Greek or our English Bibles. Um, for the most part, each of those Hebrew books fit on one scroll, although like first and second kings were divided among two scrolls. And um, we kind of talked about that last time. We talked about what they call the Tanakh in the Old Testament. Um, if you kind of go, this is where I wish I had my pen here today, but if you kind of add a little bit of vowels here or whatever, that's supposed to be an H there. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's the Tanakh right there. Tanakh, the Torah is the law, uh, the Hebrew word for law. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. The Navim is the prophets. They are the ones who kind of uphold the law in Israel. And then the writings are are kind of other books besides the the prophets that that add to and and kind of fill in the history of Israel. And so the Old Testament can be divided into the the Torah, the Navim and the Ketuvim, the the law, the prophets and the writings. And uh last time we looked at the um the history a little bit and then we began in the Pentateuch, the five books that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and um, Deuteronomy, those books kind of begin, remember we talked, and I don't want to go over it, it again too much, but Genesis looks for this promised seed, and uh, and then um, after creation and the fall and this this kind of seed is coming, then we see the, the wickedness of man in the earth, we see the flood. After the flood and the destruction that happens there, God makes a covenant with Noah that he's not going to destroy the earth again in a flood. And, uh, it makes a covenant kind of that, that creation's gonna stand, that there's gonna be springtime and harvest, day and night. Those things are gonna continue until the end. And so the, the, the craziness of what happened in the flood's not gonna happen again to the same degree. And so there's this promise then. But we're looking for this seed, and then all of a sudden Abraham comes on the scene, and God enters into a covenant with Abraham, and, and it's gonna be through him and through his seed that God is gonna bless really the whole world, and um, and that's going to happen through Abraham's seed. And of course, Abraham, 100 years old, has Isaac, and then we have Jacob, and then Jacob goes into Israel with, with all of his family and the Joseph story, and then um, a new generation arises that forgets about Jacob and forgets about what God had done um, in, in bringing Abraham's family into Egypt. And, uh, and that's where Exodus begins. Moses is raised up. Moses brings Israel out of Egypt and back toward this land that God had promised Abraham. And then he enters into a covenant with the nation and he gives them a law so that they could know him, so that they could uh, know how to please him, know how their God would have them live. And he, he gives them laws in Exodus and Leviticus and numbers, and of course, in in the book of Numbers, they they wander the wilderness because of their wickedness and their sin. Um, but God enters into a covenant with the new generation, and and now they're going to go into the promised land. And so that kind of is just an overview of the Pentateuch. And now we're going to go just kind of book by book through the the rest of the Old Testament. And so um, after Moses dies, God raises up. Joshua. 
And Joshua is going to lead, he's going to be like a, a new Moses and he's going to lead Israel into the promised land, into the land that God had promised Abraham and, uh, and, and into the land that God had promised them through Moses. And the, the key thing that's happening in the book of Joshua is conquest. The, the iniquity of the Ammonites is fulfilled. God is going to judge them for their wickedness and their sin. And Joshua is going to be the, the instrument through whom that happens. And Joshua then, with the, um, the rest of Israel, conquers the land. And the, the book here, let me read for the purpose of the book. This is what Joshua is all about to describe how the Lord gave to the nation of Israel the land that he promised in the Abrahamic covenant while also showing Israel's failure to possess the land completely because of her sin. The purpose of this conquest was A, to show God's faithfulness to his promises, B, to establish the context for later developments in the kingdom plan, which is everything else that's going to happen after Joshua, and then C, punish the inhabitants of the land because of their extreme wickedness, and D, provide a witness through Israel to other nations about God's nature and purposes. And so God's going to establish a new nation in this land, and it happens through the conquest of Joshua. And so that's what's happening in the book of Joshua. Joshua was likely written by Joshua or an assistant during the years of the conquest right up until his death. Remember we said the Exodus was about 446 BC last time, and so we're about um, somewhere between 40 and 80 years later. Um, remember, time goes downwards if you're in before Christ, if you're in the BC time, and so we're we're kind of moving towards zero when Christ is born, but that's that's when the book of Joshua was written. And so Joshua brings the people into the land, but they never they never really fully conquered the land. They didn't take all the land that God had promised. They were they were somewhat disobedient and you can see that near the end of the book of Joshua that they they hadn't really taken everything that God had told them to take. And now what happens is again we we just see the effects of of the depravity of man and the sinfulness of man as we walk through scripture. And so we've got a, a great guy with Moses, we've got a great guy with Joshua, but then in the book of Judges, it gets, it gets bad and it gets, it gets really bad. And I think there's seven cycles of, 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 um, how do, how do they put it here? Well, let me, let me give you the, the key word in Joshua is degradation. We're, we're getting, we're getting bad. We're getting, we're getting kind of, we're seeing the, the depravity of man. And Judges is written to chronicle Israel's deepening moral degradation after the death of Joshua marked by a repetitive cycle of disobedience, which in turn brings God's judgment through military military subjugation from other nations, which in turn brings Israel to repentance, to which God responds by sending civil or military judges, literally saviors, who provide temporary deliverance until the next descent into disobedience. And so there's these cycles that happen through Joshua. And, and just off the top of my head, I, I think there's seven cycles. And Israel is in sin. And then God sends 
the Philistines and the Philistines conquer Israel. And then Israel's like, the Philistines have conquered us and they cry out to God and then God raises up a judge and then the judge delivers them and then they, now they're safe and now they go into even more wickedness. And at the very end of the book of Judges, there's this horrible, well, there's a couple of horrible stories. There's the, the story of Jephthah's vow in uh, chapter 11, verses 30 to 40, where um, Jephthah seems to likely sacrifices his own daughter because he makes a rash vow. And so he, he, he kills his own daughter because he said, the first thing I see when I get back from this victory, I'm going to sacrifice it to the Lord. And then along comes his daughter and you just, and, and he, it seems like he does it, although the author of Judges is kind of, um, discreet about it. And then at the very, the very last few chapters of the book, we see, um, a horrible situation where where a concubine is cut up into 12 pieces and sent all through the the land um to kind of call Israel to repentance for the wickedness that they they did and then almost we almost lose the tribe of Benjamin because they they all get killed and and you, you know you can read that for yourself um two key verses though in the book of judges judges 17:6 and judges 21:25 in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of almost the theme of the book of Judges. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. And, and really there's these, these scattered tribes all through Israel. And, um, an important thing to know about the book of Judges, at least as far as chronology goes, is that the, the judges are sometimes in different places in Israel. And so we, we maybe focus in on, on one judge in one area, and then, then it focuses in on another judge in another area. And there's a lot of chronological overlap there. If you just kind of add up all the dates in the book of Judges, you'll have way too many, way too much time. And so there's, there's overlap going on in the different areas, and the author isn't really so concerned about that. Um, but that's the book of Judges, possibly written by Samuel, according to the Jewish Talmud, um, shortly after Saul began his rule. So Samuel likely writes the book of Judges as um, as Saul begins to rule, and and it and, and this this king is now raised up, and now not everyone's not going to do what's right in his own eyes because they're going to have a king. Now. If all we had was the book of Judges, we would think that Israel was the, the most terrible place in the, in the world, really. Um, but what, there's another book that comes along that's written up about the same time that covers the same period as Judges. And that's the book of Ruth. And, and it, it comes alongside and it, I think it kind of almost tells us that there's some good folks in Israel who trust the Lord and know the Lord. And uh, that's the whole story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz in the book of Ruth. And and the key word here is redemption. Um, book of uh, Ruth, Ruth goes, um, at, well, um, Naomi goes. I always get confused who's Ruth, who's Naomi. Yeah, so I'm just going to not even say anything about it. You should read the book of Ruth and figure out who Ruth is and who Naomi is, but um, the book of Ruth chronicles the redemption of the Moabitess widow named Ruth by Boaz. So Naomi is the one who goes to, to Moab in a famine 
You know, you get the sense Israel's been sinful again. There's a famine. The Lord's judging them. They, they leave. They go to, they go to Moab. Um, Naomi's children die, but Ruth stays with her. Ruth comes back with Naomi, uh, marries Boaz and, um, is redeemed by her. Boaz redeems Ruth and, uh, with a weird kind of shoe switching ceremony that we don't quite understand. And, um, and, and Boaz becomes Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Now at the end of the book of Ruth, there's a very important, um, statement here. So let's go and, let's go find it here. Samuel judges Ruth. So judges Ruth, Samuel chapter four. At the end of Chapter 4, verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Here we go. This is, now we know who we're talking about. Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And so the author of, of Ruth is, is kind of giving us a story that shows us where David came from and the line through which David came. And so again, we're, we're following the seed. This is what the Old Testament's doing. We're, we're following this seed. And right at the end of the book of Ruth, it says, ah, here's the seed. Now, this is probably written around the time of Samuel. So we don't even, the author of Ruth probably doesn't even know about the Davidic covenant yet. Um, and you don't know about the Davidic covenant yet because we haven't talked about that, but it's kind of, it's kind of hinting at the end of the book of Ruth that something important is going to happen with this guy named David. Now we don't know again who authored Ruth, but it's uh, Jewish tradition again says it was Samuel, um, probably written sometime during David's reign since it mentions David there, which is about a thousand to 971 BC. Um, so there you go. That is that's the book of Ruth. And then we're in, if you're, if you're at Ruth at the end of Ruth, the next book in your Bible is 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is all about kingship and, uh, there's a, a king raised up first. Um, first really, first we, we start off with Samuel. Samuel is kind of Israel's final judge. And, um, Samuel is a, a good judge, although his, his children aren't great. We've been reading this in our, Bible reading uh, at church on Sunday mornings, but kingship is introduced, and um, and we we see the the initial and failed reign of Saul, and then the focus shifts to David, and we're we're introduced to David, who's going to be um, the king that that is a man after God's own heart, and so that's that's kind of what. First Samuel is about, it traces, it, it tells us about the last judge, then it tells us about this, this rise of Saul, who's then rejected, and then the, uh, the beginning of David and his reign. And then in Second Samuel, um, Second Samuel is all about David, and the focus is now on David. Chapters 1 to 10 is David's triumphs. That's where we finished reading today in scripture reading. Uh, chapter 
11 and 12 are David's transgressions. And we're going to find out that David commits a grievous sin and uh, tries to cover it up and then commits even more grievous sins. And then for the rest of the book, we're going to see David's troubles from chapter 13 to 24. That's what Second Samuel really focuses on. It, it chronicles the reign of David from the, the good things of his accession to kingship, his triumph over his enemies, the Lord's establishment of the Davidic covenant, which is really important, we'll come back to that, to his failures as king and its painful consequences, thus highlighting the need for a better king to come. And what we see from David is that even though he was a man after God's own heart, he, he couldn't be the savior. He couldn't be the one that, that redeems us. We needed a greater king and, and that's promised in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 8 to 16 is the Davidic covenant. And now we see that there's going to be the, the seed that was going to come through, um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then and and Judah is now going to come through David. And and this coming seed is also going to be a king just like David was a king and he's going to reign over David's kingdom forever. And so that's where we get the idea of a a millennial kingdom that that um that carries off into eternity is is because it's promised to David in the Davidic covenant, second Samuel. So that's, that's second Samuel, second Samuel, first Samuel, um, an unknown author. I actually have to go back one slide here. Let me just, just bear with me. First and second Samuel were written by the same unknown author, most likely during the period of the divided kingdom, but before the exile, sometime between 931 which was when um, David's reign ended. That was 931 is the beginning of Solomon's reign to 722 BC where the, the exile happens and Israel is taken captive into Babylon. So sometime between there, and, and we don't know who wrote First and Second Samuel. And, and that's, um, it's interesting. All, all of the Jews accepted it as scripture. They knew it was scripture all the time, but but we don't have a, a record of who actually wrote these books. And so it's, it's an unknown prophet author. So that's first and second Samuel. And then after that, you come to the book of Kings. And the, we have, of course, first Kings first. First Kings is the united to the divided kingdoms. And so when, when we see David's reign, when we see Saul's reign, they reign over all of Israel. They reign over Judah and they reign over Israel and they reign from Jerusalem. But what happens is that God raises up David's son Solomon and David's son Solomon comes to the throne and First uh, Kings kind of looks at Solomon's reign. And, uh, and Solomon's reign is good, but Solomon sins. And Solomon is, even though in the, the Davidic covenant, we're looking for a son of David to reign. We, we quickly find out that Solomon's not the one. Solomon's not going to be the savior either. And, uh, and he does everything that he wasn't supposed to do as far as the laws of a king. And so he gathers to himself a whole bunch of wives and he collects a whole bunch of gold and he gets a whole bunch of horses, which is exactly what God told him not to do 
in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so because of that, God raises up enemies to Solomon during his reign. And uh, that leads to the division of the kingdom in 2 Kings after Solomon's reign. And so the purpose of what's 1 Kings all about, well, it, it, it shows the descent of the kingdom of Israel from the height of its glory to its, excuse me, to its sudden division into two kingdoms, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, and their subsequent decline. And it covers from about 970 to 850 BC. Of a, 971 is when Solomon's reign began, um, and, uh, 970, 71 is probably when David died. And of particular emphasis in the book of Kings is the ministry of the prophets and Israel's rejection of the word of God. So there's, there's this chronicle of the kings that happens, but there's God raises up prophets to speak to these kings and to lead them back to the law of God so that they would follow God's law. And so there's, there's these prophets that come up and they, they speak the word of God to the kings. They speak the word of God to the nations. But Israel consistently and constantly rejects the word of God and won't listen to God's word. And eventually it leads in their exile to Assyria and Babylon. But first, before that, it leads to the division so that there's no longer a united kingdom, but there's these divided kingdoms. There's Israel in the north. And there's Judah and Benjamin with Judah in the south. Um, first and second Kings were originally one book. Um, they're really, really second Kings. Um, you have to read, you, second Kings is not a standalone book. You kind of have to, it, it starts in a weird spot actually. And so you, you really want to have first and second Kings together. Um, again, written by an anonymous prophet. We don't know exactly when, somewhere between 561 and 538 BC. So second Kings, what's happening there? Divided kingdoms to exile. So now that they're divided under Rehoboam and Jeroboam, Jeroboam is the king in the north. He sets up, remember he, he causes Israel to sin by setting up two golden calves. You guys remember that? One of the golden calves was in Bethel. The other one was in Dan. And he told Israel, don't go to Jerusalem to worship in the way that Yahweh said. Instead, here's your God in Bethel. And he sets up this idol for them to worship. And uh, and so what we see is Israel is, is typically the more wicked kingdom. Israel is the... Um, Israel is has strayed further away whereas as Judah more follows the Lord and and they have the temple and everything that that's kind of um that God had ordained everything is there in Judah but Israel kind of goes astray from that and uh and doesn't follow the Lord so second kings kind of chronicles the the kings of Israel both in the north and in the south, the focus is really on the kings. The focus is also on the prophets. And this is where we, we see Elijah and Elisha. And uh, they're, they're kind of like the, the prototype prophets that, that God's going to raise up. Elisha and Elijah don't write books of prophecy. But uh, later on, we're going to see prophets who write books for us. And it's, it's really during the, the reign of all of these kings that the prophets... Um, have their ministry as well. 
And so 2 Kings begins with the division. And in the northern kingdom, there's the Assyrian captivity that happens in 722 B.C., and uh, the southern kingdom that's a little bit more godly, that has some reformation at times, they they kind of make it a little bit longer. They make it until eight, 586 B.C. when they are exiled into Babylon. And, uh, and so 2 Kings covers the time period from about 850 B.C. to 538 B.C. after um, the, the deportation to Babylon. There's a couple of times where Israel is taken captive to Babylon and uh and that ends in 538 BC. So again, first and second kings written by uh an anonymous prophet kind of near the end of that time that the, that the book covers. Then we have another book, um first chronicles and second chronicles and and these kind of run parallel to the book of kings. First Chronicles really is um, parallel to the book of Second Samuel, and it just focuses only on David and uh, and David's reign. But the difference between Kings and Chronicles is that Chronicles is written later, and it's written from a more priestly perspective, and it's always concerned about priestly things, about the ministry of the priest. It's always concerned about. Um, religious things and so it gives more detail into into the praise of God that's happening. Uh it also focuses only on the faithful southern kingdom. It doesn't focus on Israel although it kind of tells us a little bit about what was happening in the north, but mostly it's it's focused on on the southern kingdom of Judah. And 1st Chronicles covers the reign of David and uh it was written by Ezra uh, first and second chronicles were one book written likely by Ezra. Second chronicles parallels first and second kings, but again deals only with Judah. And, uh, the first nine chapters are the reign of Solomon. And then the, the next chapters 10 to 36 focus on the, the reigns of the other kings leading up to, um, the captivity, but there's this, this note of hope at the end of first chronicles or second chronicles. So let's, let's go and let's look at that. Second chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36.22, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Now flip the page and just look at Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. 
The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And you probably noticed the, the, the repetition there. And so Ezra wrote the end of Chronicles, and, and Chronicles ends and, and looks forward to this return from the exile, which Jeremiah prophesied. And so, um, so, you know, if we, if we just kind of recap a little bit, Israel comes out of Egypt. Joshua brings them into the promised land. The judges are unfaithful. The kings are unfaithful. Um, they, they, they divide the nation into two. There's Judah. There's the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom's taken captive and the people are, are deported to Assyria. The southern kingdom, uh, a couple hundred years later, is taken captive and they're deported to Babylon. And now they're, they're gonna get sent back into the promised land which God had promised them and which God had said that he would do through his prophets. And so now, second chronicles kind of has this note of hope that and, and it's, it's kind of followed all of, all of, um, God's promises so that, so that the people now who are receiving Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, they, they know that God is, is bringing them back to the land as He promised. And so it's an encouragement for them to go back to the land. And the book of Ezra then kind of chronicles the, the going back into the land. And the people, go back with in, in a couple of phases with Ezra and with Nehemiah and I think even before that with Zerubbabel and uh, they're going to rebuild the temple under Ezra's ministry. And so Ezra chronicles this to highlight God's faithfulness seen in the return of the Jews from the exile in Babylon to Jerusalem, the reconstruction of the temple and the spiritual reform of the people. That's what's happening in the book of Ezra and it was most likely most likely written by Ezra the priest, who wrote the book around the middle of the 4th century in the decades after the second return from Persia, about 458 BC. Um, Nehemiah, very similar now, Nehemiah is going to come and they're going to rebuild the walls. And so a little bit after Ezra, we got Nehemiah. This was also written by Ezra. And uh, it's going to chronicle the building of the walls of Jerusalem as well as the spiritual reforms of the people under the godly leadership of Nehemiah as governor and Ezra as priest and to show the faithful good hand of God in the lives of his people despite opposition. That's one of my favorite little sayings in throughout Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the good hand of the Lord was with us. And, um, and so ne- God leads Nehemiah to kind of rebuild the walls and... Um, Again, written by most likely Ezra the priests, no later than 400 BC. Um, the book of Esther is a really interesting book that kind of comes alongside around this same time. What happens in, in the book of Esther is preservation. And, uh, Esther is a book that doesn't even mention the name of God, but it shows the, the providential care of God to preserve the chosen people in exile. In light of the serpent's continuing effort to annihilate the line through Gentile persecution. So the Gentiles are gonna try to kill God's people, but God raises up Esther to, um, to work a salvation for them and, and God's people are 
preserved. And, and really, that's what we see all through the exile period. God preserved his people in Babylon and Assyria, and then he brings them back at the chosen time, exactly like he said through Jeremiah. And so that's, that's the historical books. We've just kind of gone through the, the historical books of the Old Testament, 12 books according to our English Bibles, 12 books according to uh, what you had in your homework there. Um, now we go into poetry, which kind of comes alongside and, and really fills out um, God's Word. And so there's, there's five books of poetry in the Old Testament. We have the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. Uh, let's just go through. So the book of Job is, is, um, is, covers the time period that would be very close, we don't know for sure, but very close to the life of Abraham. But it was written most likely much later. In, in fact, they don't, I don't even, I'm always hesitant to say something that I'm I'm not 100% sure of off the top of my head here, but I'm pretty sure that as far as we know, they weren't writing anything in the days of Abraham. Like they, they weren't, there wasn't writing like we know it. And that kind of developed later. That's why we have the the story of Abraham was written by Moses because they, they hadn't kind of fully developed that Um or at least as far as we know and have discovered. And so the book of Job would have been written about the time of Abraham, but it would have had to have been written later on. So it's, it's about that time, but it's written later on. And, and really what happens in the book of Job is, is suffering. And you know the story of Job and all of that the Lord brought him through. But the book of Job is, is really helpful for us because it, it, it shows us that when we face suffering, the appropriate response is not to seek from God the reasons why, why is this happening to me, but to fear and trust him implicitly just like Job did. And so Job really comes alongside the Old Testament and shows us how to trust God in the midst of suffering. And of course, there's suffering in this world because of sin, because of the fall of man. And so we live in a suffering world. Well, how do we respond to it? The book of Job explains that very, very well. Uh, again, we don't know who wrote the book of Job. Could have been Job himself, although some of the last verses in Job talk about the death of Job. I guess it couldn't have been Job himself if I'm saying it was written later. Um, but we don't know who wrote it. Most likely written later uh, around the time of Moses. I, I think the the Hebrew in the book of Job is a little bit older, but it's hard to really date that as well. So we don't know too much about that. Um, the book of Psalms focuses on worship, the worship of Yahweh. And the whole book is written to motivate the reader to worship God through a collection of poetic works dedicated to extolling the great acts and words of God and creation, world history, and the history of Israel in particular. Um, this is this is Israel's uh, worship book. This is their hymnal. And... Uh, and it's kind of collected and gathered throughout history. David wrote about half of the Psalms, uh, about 73 of them. Asaph wrote 12. The sons of Korah wrote 10. Others were Solomon, Heman, Ethan, Moses, 
About 50 psalms are anonymous, and so we don't know who wrote them. Uh, and there's a, a, a big time period as well that, that this book of Psalms covers, about 900 years from Moses as early as 1410 B.C. all the way to the 5th century B.C., about, about 400 B.C. So quite a, um, a spread there. Now, there's, there's five books in the book of Psalms. There's the, the Psalms fit on five scrolls. And uh, they were collected, probably later on, um, written by, the first 41 are written by David. And if you go to the end of Psalm, if you go to Psalm 41 and verse 13, we probably see the book of, or, or the, the work of an editor here at the end of the Psalms, at the end of the scroll, it says, for Psalm 41.13, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And then I don't know about your English Bible, but my English Bible then says book two. And maybe you've never noticed that before, but that's, that's kind of signaling us that we are on scroll two. And scroll two goes from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72, and it's mostly written by David, but also the sons of Korah have some psalms in there. And if you go to the Psalm 72, and maybe starting in verse 19, well, no, starting in verse 18, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. And then it says in verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And, uh, and so that's the, the, the end of the, the Psalms of David, although some of these Psalms, like I said, in this section, 42 to 72, 72 are written by the sons of Korah. But these are the, the collection of David's Psalms, and so whoever put these together kind of says that this is the end of, of David's Psalms. Now there's, there's other psalms by David later on in, in some of the other books, book five especially. Um, but then book three of the psalms, 73 to 89. And so if you go to Psalm, go to Psalm 89, verse 52 there, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then my English Bible says book four. Book four goes from Psalm 90 to 106, and we see the same kind of a thing at the end of Psalm 106. Blessed be the Lord God of Is, the, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. And, uh, and so that's the end of Psalm, uh, or, or book four, and then book five goes all the way to Psalm 150, the final Psalm, and, uh, it just ends with, Praise the Lord. And so the whole, whole Psalm 150 is kind of like the, the final bit there for us. Uh, but anyways, five books of Psalms that are, are designed to help us worship God. And, uh, so much, so much good stuff in the Psalms. We really don't have time to go through it. Um, the book of Proverbs comes along and this is what we call a, a wisdom book. And, um, you know, Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, these are, these are our wisdom books. Uh, the book of Proverbs is, is written to, to provide the young and simple with the necessary knowledge and wisdom they need to live fearfully and successfully before God. 
And that's really just a definition of wisdom there. And so the, the Proverbs come along and, and really maybe a way to say it is that they've kind of fill out the spaces in the law. The law has kind of set down these, these things that you must do. And now you need to kind of come in with wisdom and, and put this together and say, how do I live? How, what should I do in, in this situation, in that situation? And the book of Proverbs gives us wisdom with, to how to deal with these things, how to live in a way that honors God. Um, the, the, the author of Saul, of Proverbs, there, there's, there's maybe many authors. Mostly Solomon, though, wrote the first 22 Psalms for sure, or the 20, first 22 chapters of Proverbs. Um, compiled also the, the Proverbs that are recorded in chapters 22 to 24. Uh, some of the stuff in chapter 25 to 29 was also composed by Solomon, but, but gathered together by Hezekiah at a later time. Uh, we don't know the identity of Agur in chapter 30. And uh, then in chapter 31, King Lemuel, that could have been Solomon as well, although I, I think we're not for sure about that. Um, and so we have these these proverbs mostly from Solomon, but not exclusively. And then the book of Ecclesiastes comes along, and it's it's kind of like the book of Job in, in many ways. And the book of Ecclesiastes kind of tries to answer the question, why why are, why is there suffering and difficulty in the world as well? And uh, and what Ecclesiastes does is it shows us that the the wicked person there's this there's this thing in the in the wisdom that the wisdom writers are dealing with and and the thing is how come how come bad trials happen to godly people and I think that's a question that that often we wonder and you and you look at the book of Job and it kind of answers that question in a way you see, you don't maybe it doesn't answer that question but you see it happen. Uh, the the most righteous man on the earth goes through the most difficult thing that that you could ever imagine. And what Ecclesiastes does is it kind of comes alongside the book of Job and it, it says, you know what, that, that successful um, rich guy that's wicked and cheats and steals and, and does all kinds of wicked stuff, he he's probably not as happy as you think he is. He he's he's just wasting his life. He's just um pursuing vanity it's empty and it's not ultimately satisfying and that's what ecclesiastes really focuses on and it's really a warning to us to young people and and really old people to everyone that that life apart from god is is vain it's empty and so it it tells us that if you want to have an impact for eternity the 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 key to success is to fear god and keep his commandments and uh, and don't follow what Solomon did, which Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, and he tried everything, and and it it wasn't ultimately fulfilling, and so he concludes in chapter twelve, fear God and keep His commandments. Um, all of the internal evidence from the book of Ecclesiastes is is that Solomon wrote it. He calls himself Kohelet. Um, or Koheleth, depending on, you, you can pronounce it both ways. Uh, he's the preacher, but it, it seems that the, this would be Solomon. I'm not going to go into how to prove that or whatever. Um, but most likely written later in Solomon's life after he repented 
of all of his idolatry and everything that, that he had done sinfully. Um, Song of Solomon, also written by Solomon, or Song of Songs, uh, focuses on romance and shows us that that uh, it's a, a beautiful and, and wonderful thing that marriage is a, a good institution created by God to be enjoyed between a husband and wife, and it's part of God's good creation. And uh, written, again, by Solomon, could have been written any time during his reign from 771 all the way to 931 B.C. So that that's kind of fills out the uh, the books of poetry, and now we come to the prophets. And like I said, the prophets prophesied during the reign of the kings that we saw in First and Second Kings, as well as Second Chronicles. And um, last time, I think I introduced you to the five major prophets: Jeremiah, Isaiah, Lamentations. Ezekiel and the book of Daniel. That's the way that our English Bibles put it. Um, these are, these are what we typically think of as the major prophets. Then we have the minor prophets, um, 12 books of minor prophets that fit on one scroll that, that really flow together. And I'm not going to show you that necessarily, but it seems like some later editor gathered all of these minor prophets and, and stitched them together in the order that they're in. They're not in chronological order. They're in a almost like a, a thematic order, if you could say that. And, and the last line or near the last line of Hosea is going to be repeated in Joel. And the, the last line of Joel is going to be picked up on Amos. And the last thought of Amos is going to be picked up in Obadiah. And it kind of flows through that way. Um, really interesting how, how it kind of works that way. But, but I'm not going to spend time on that right now. But uh, those are the, the minor prophets, just minor because they wrote smaller books and because it's all on one scroll. Now, um, you know, maybe this, maybe this is not interesting at all to you, but I, 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 I just, I feel like I, I gotta show this if I'm gonna do this. So, um, these, so this here, see, oh, this is not what I wanted. Um, this is the, the pre-exilic time. This is the time of the kings while, while Israel is in their land. Then we have the exilic time. This is when they're in Assyria and Babylon. And then post-exilic, that's when they come back from the exile and return to Jerusalem. And so what we see here is just, I've, we've put all the prophets on a chart here. And we see that the prophets to Israel were very few. Remember, Israel was the, the more wicked northern nation, and they only had Amos and Hosea that were prophesied to Israel. Most of the prophets you see are, are prophets to Judah, and, um, and so here's the prophets who were in the pre-exilic time. Joel was one of the earliest prophets. Uh, Obadiah was a little bit before him. Isaiah had a long Reign as a prophet, uh, Micah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All of these guys in, in chronological order here were prophets to Judah and to the kings of Judah. And then there's a couple of prophets who prophesied to foreign nations. And so Obadiah prophesied to Edom in uh, about 850, 840 BC. Jonah, of course, famously went to Nineveh in 7 84 to 774, and uh, the nation repented. 
And then interestingly enough, a hundred years after Jonah, Nahum comes and he also prophesies to Nineveh and uh, they don't listen and they're, they're judged. And, uh, and so Nahum prophesies the destruction of Nineveh a hundred years after, um, after they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And so that's kind of an overview of the prophets um, and where they prophesied, when kind of generally they prophesied. I don't know if, oh, I didn't do that yet. Okay, in a minute I have, um, I have another kind of chart that, that gives the dates of these prophets. So let's, we'll go over these ones a little quicker if we can. Uh, the prophet Isaiah was a prophet to Judah. Uh, he prophesied about, really about salvation as well as about the future. The first number of um, chapters of Isaiah are speaking about the wrath of God on the nation of Israel um, and Judah, but also um, the surrounding nations as well come under Jeremiah's prophecy. And, uh, and God's holiness has been offended and God's wrath is going to come. And then in uh, chapter 36 to 39 of Isaiah, there's this interlude that talks about Hezekiah and his healing. And then chapter 40 to 66 of Isaiah talks about the future redemption of God and kind of points forward to the coming of Christ and even beyond that to the second coming of Christ and the salvation that he's going to bring. Most quoted prophet in the New Testament was Isaiah. Then Jeremiah um, Jeremiah prophesies mostly judgment, judgment on um on Israel, judgment on Judah. He is, uh, he's during the, the exile, um, when Jeremiah prophesies, um, Israel has already been taken into Assyria, and now Judah is gonna be taken in, and so Jeremiah preaches to them, but of course they don't repent. He calls them to repentance, but they don't, and so he warns them about the judgment, um, but they don't listen. He also speaks about the future restoration that's going to happen um, in the end time. Written by Jeremiah sometime um, bef- just before the, and, and even during the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, Book of Lamentations, also written by Jeremiah, where Jeremiah laments the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC when Babylon destroys Jerusalem and, and takes the people away and um, written in a acrostic dirge kind of a, a format and written by Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem 586. Ezekiel, another prophet to Judah, but he is during the exile period. And so he's prophesying to the Jews in exile and uh, he tells them about the restoration, the coming restoration. Of course, we love Ezekiel 36 and 37 that speak about the millennial kingdom and even the new covenant. Um, chapter 40 to 48 of Ezekiel is uh, about the, the restoration of the temple and, and what's going to happen at, at a yet future day. Um, but Ezekiel is uh, another one of the prophets. Daniel as well, written during the exilic time, speaks about God's sovereignty during that time, speaks about how um, 
God is, is sovereign over the Gentile powers of the world and that he's going to do what he wants to do and that ultimately he's going to accomplish his purpose of redemption and salvation. Um, Daniel's a, a great prophet that kind of speaks to things that are still future in many things to us as well. Um, and then we're into the, the minor prophets. Hosea, what are these books about? What's going on? These are these are maybe books that, that you haven't read before. But Hosea speaks about God's faithfulness. Um, just like, uh, remember, Hosea married Gomer, this unfaithful wife, and it was to be an illustration of how Israel was unfaithful to Yahweh. Hosea was one of the prophets who prophesied to Israel, um, 755 to 710 BC. Joel was the one of the earlier prophets to Judah, he speaks about the day of the Lord. He's the one that's quoted in uh, Acts chapter 2 when they talk about the day of the Lord. Um, prepares us for this coming day of the Lord. This day that, that God is going to judge the world and uh, Christ is going to come and reign. Uh, Amos is the other prophet who prophesied to Israel. He speaks about injustice and um is concerned about the injustice that's happening in Israel. They're not keeping the law. And this is what the prophets really focus on is they're, they're calling Israel and their kings to follow God's law, follow his word. And of course, for the most part, Israel's not listening. Uh, Obadiah, this is one of the prophets to, um, to the foreign nation of Edom. And, uh, Obadiah tells about God's judgment against Edom for its mistreatment of Israel. The Edomites came from Esau and um, they were always opposing Israel and so there's going to be judgment on them according to Obadiah. Uh, Obadiah was one of the earliest prophets that wrote a letter about 840 BC. Book of Jonah, I think you know that one well. Key word, mercy. God has mercy on Nineveh when when uh, Jonah preaches to them and uh course, a hundred years later, Nahum, they don't listen. Uh, Micah is a prophet to Judah about 700 BC. He talks about the social injustice of Judah, kind of very similar to Amos, just talking about the wickedness of, of Judah. Nahum is, uh, I told you about him, he's judgment on Nineveh a hundred years later. God's going to judge Nineveh for their pride, idolatry, and violence. And uh, and so they're going to be judged by God. And uh, Habakkuk, a great little b- uh, book quoted in the New Testament by Paul. Uh, Habakkuk speaks about God's judgment on Judah. And uh, he talks about how the, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are going to come and uh, and God's going to use them to judge his people Israel and Habakkuk asks God a bunch of questions about that because he's going, but, but Lord, the, the Babylonians are even worse than the, the people of Judah. And, uh, God answers that and, uh, and says that ultimately he's going to vindicate his righteousness and he's going to judge the Chaldeans or the Babylonians as well. So Habakkuk quoted by Paul, you know, the, the verse that the, the just shall live by faith, that comes from Habakkuk. Uh, almost done the minor prophets now. We've got Zephaniah. Zephaniah speaks about global judgment, and uh, it's just really a, a book of judgment for the whole world of what God's going to do. Uh, Haggai 
is uh, one of the... Now we're into the final prophets here. These are the prophets who ministered during the post-exilic time. So uh, Israel is now back in their land. And they're going to build the temple and they're going to build the walls of Jerusalem. And Haggai comes and uh, and he's he's in exile and he's going to tell them to to get this this temple built. And uh, Zechariah as well, kind of one of the, the prophets during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, he calls the Jews who returned from the exile to prepare the temple for the Messiah. And uh, he encourages them to, to build the temple and looks forward to the day when the Messiah is going to come and, 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 and reign from Jerusalem again. And so Zechariah is one of the great prophets, prophetic books that we, we like to go to and uh, speaks about Christ and uh, his first and his second coming. So Zechariah is the most messianic and eschatological in the Old Testament. Zechariah was a priest and again ministering to post-exilic Jews. And then the final minor prophet, Malachi, uh, he calls Israel to repent. Uh, it's a book to to call the Jews who returned from exile to repentance over their complacency towards God's faithful love and His law, evidenced by their mixed marriages, withholding ties, and social injustice. These uh, these notes, by the way, were written before social justice was even a thing. Um, but there was there was wickedness happening in Israel, and and Malachi and the other prophets pointed it out. Uh, Malachi reminds the people that that God's covenant promises remain true. And after Malachi, Malachi is the final Old Testament prophet, the final Old Testament book, and after that we go into what we call 400 years of silence. And so there's 400 years from the end of Malachi and really the end of Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles, and all that happened there. There's 400 years where the Jews have no prophets. And uh, that is prophets, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. Um, they have no nobody speaking the word of God to them until 400 years later when John the Baptist comes. And of course, Malachi had predicted and spoken about the coming of John the Baptist at the end of his prophecy. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so Malachi ends with that. There's 400 years of silence, and then this Elijah-like figure, John the Baptist, comes and begins to preach, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that's the start of the New Testament. Um, now, what I, I, oh, I what I tried to do here is sh- is make some outlines here. I don't think I don't know if you're going to be able to see it. And uh, let's see if I do this a little bit. This is this here. This this line here is about 1446. Um, well, sorry, this line here is actually b- um, before that. This is the period from about 1400 to the Exodus in, um, in 1446. And this is the, when the book of the Pentateuch 
The Pentateuch was written by Moses. This is where the book of Joshua is, the book of Joshua and the, the reign of Joshua. And then if we go to the next slide, there, there were some of the judges here, Gideon, Tola, Elon, Jer, Jephthah, Samson. These are, these are kind of guesses about when, when they, they were. Um, we don't exactly know when each of these guys was, but this is kind of the best, best that we can do here. Um, the book of Judges was written, of course, after the Judges, as, as we said, uh, likely by Samuel. Uh, here we see the, the reign of Saul, about 1040 um, A.D. To, to David, and then into Solomon. This is the single kingdom that we saw. And then after Solomon, remember there's the divided kingdom. Here is Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the first king in Judah, son of Solomon, Jeroboam was an enemy that God had raised up for Solomon, and now we have the divided kingdom. And so during this time, there's prophets. Remember the prophet Nathan? He's the one who spoke to, um, to spoke to David and called him to repent over the sin of, of Bathsheba. Also, we hear about the prophet Gad at that time. Um, I don't remember exactly what the prophet Gad did, but prophets are in green, books are in orange here. And people who reigned in some sense, people who were rulers like the judges, Saul, David, Solomon, they are in uh, whatever this kind of purpley color is. Uh, so here's the divided kingdom and all of the kings that, that reigned in Israel. Elisha and Elisha, of course, were, were raised up there in Israel. Um, Jonah as well as a prophet from Israel, Amos and Hosea. Down here, I don't think we can see the, the rulers for some reason, uh, from, from Judah, but, uh, this is when the, the books of first and second Samuel cover. Obadiah, one of the earlier prophets was written here. Joel, uh, Micah written a little bit later. Uh, anyways, this is kind of just a, a chart that you can kind of see what was going on here when these prophets were compared to when the, the kings ruled um, Israel. This would be the deportation into Babylon uh, where Jehoiachin and Zedekiah are, are taken captive. Here you see the prophet Daniel who is kind of, you know, begins in Israel but then is taken into exile into Babylon. Ezekiel as well, his lifespan covers the beginning period of the captivity. Um, the book of Jeremiah is written about this time. First and Second Kings is written about this time, kind of looking back. Um, and then here we are. This is about four, uh, 400 BC, the, the kind of the, the end of, of, uh, this is the silent period that I was trying to talk about here that comes to Jesus. So Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, First and Second Chronicles, Nehemiah, all written about that time. So that kind of puts it in a more chronological order. Well, um, I think that's probably all that you guys can bear for tonight. Um, so that next time we'll come back and we'll start with the New Testament Bible survey, and we'll we'll talk about the New Testament. What, what's there, what's in it, and then maybe we'll start into canonicity as well. So, I know hopefully that's a little bit helpful just for you to have a, a sense of what, what's, what's in the Bible, what's there. And, uh, I'm hoping it encourages you to read some of those books that maybe you've never read before. 
And uh, if you if you have these notes, I, th- I think it's really helpful to go to to find to to know what why these books are written and what their purpose is, and even to maybe fit it into the time frame that it was written. So that when you go to read it, you kind of, you're, you're going to pick up on things that maybe you didn't notice before. You know, I'm guessing if you read first and second Kings, you, you didn't notice that, that the emphasis there was on the prophets and how they spoke the word of the Lord to the kings. But now you go back and you read first and second Kings and you're going to see, wow, it's just prophet after prophet and they don't listen to the word and they don't listen to the word. And so, um, every book is like that. It's written for a reason. It's written for a purpose. And it, it helps to kind of know what that is when you go into it. So with that, we'll, we'll end for tonight. Um, I will try to get your homework back to you. Um, I think I'll try to, I'm going to try to get it back to you next week on Sunday morning, but uh, we'll see how successful I am on that. Um, great. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for all of the word that you've given us. Um, so many prophets, so many prophets who wrote your word to us. And uh, we pray that we would understand your word in greater ways. Pray that this would be helpful as we study our Bibles. And um, again, thank you for the word of God, for revealing yourself to us in your special revelation in the Old Testament. And then even, even going into next time, thank you for the New Testament that shows us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray we would Glorify Him. In Jesus' name, amen.